HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz. Greg is on his way back from L.A. heading to Brooklyn. Thanks for everyone who came out to Snacky Tunes Live this week. Big thanks to everyone involved, and we have some exciting updates that we can share with you about the next one in the next few weeks. On this week's episode, we head to one of our favorite places in the world, St. Viator Bagel Shop in Montreal. We sit down with second-generation owner Vince Morena to talk about the wood-burning ovens, the legendary bagel, his father and his whole family, and how they keep those ovens running in the flame of the Canadian Montreal-style bagel burning. We're also joined in studio... Uh, we're also joined in studio with Brooklyn Bluegrass Buskers, Zach Orion and Scott Murphy, better known as Mountain Animation. They talk about how they went from subway busking to the studio and give one hell of a performance. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pole.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. I'm sitting in the legendary St. Victor Bagel with Vince Morena. David? Yeah, that's it. Morena, okay. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Sitting in the legendary St. Viator Bagel with Vince Morena, one of the owners, part of the family, part of the legend. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, on a personal note for me, when I think of Montreal, I think of uh, Montreal Bagel, and namely St. Viator. Um, but for those who are not familiar with it or who have never had the pleasure of having a Canadian bagel, let's, let's lay it out. What is it? And how is it different than bagels that people might know in the States? Uh, well, there there are a few differences, and the the simplest way for me to describe it is uh, the bagels in the states are based on the New York bagel, and then there's the Montreal style bagel. And the simplest way to describe it is that we didn't uh, evolve. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? I, I suspect that all the bagels came in in the early 1900s with the the Jewish immigration mm-hmm. from from the Eastern Europe, and they brought their recipes over. So at a certain point in time. All the bagels were made the same. They were all made uh, by hand, and they were all baked in wood-burning ovens because electric ovens and gas ovens didn't exist at the turn of the century. Sure. Uh, so, uh, and it, what happened in New York is that... Uh, can we stop for a second? Yeah. yeah. Just go back. Hello. Hey, I'm just doing an interview. I'll call you later. Is it important? Bye. Okay. Sorry about that. No problem. So just uh, pick it up with the ovens. Yeah. So, uh, whereas... Uh, That's fine. one of those things. Bagel Sinviata. Oui. Oui, Café Bistro. Dix douzen? Dix douzen. Parfait, merci. Bye-bye. Perfect. So the ovens. So, uh, so what happened in the states was that uh, they, they they switched to gas ovens early on, and they actually switched to automation early on. Mm. Uh, before the first bagel uh, machine was invented in 1951 by Thompson, mm-hmm. but before then they actually had what was a Griselli machine, a, a, a breadstick machine from Italy, and then they would close them by hand. So the the, the Americans found a way to mass produce them a lot quicker than we did up here in Canada and uh, for example our ovens we still work at a pace of 35 dozen an hour whereas uh, the the most rudimentary bagel machine in the states is 100 dozen an hour yeah but 35 dozen an hour is still by hand an impressive feat yeah well I mean we, we work at 24 hours a day 7 days a week 365 days a year so we end up making a lot of bagels and we've expanded to uh, eight locations and ten ovens, so we're, we're making a lot of bagels by hand every day. Well, before we talk about the expansion, let's go back to the very beginning um, with uh, Meyer Lekovitz. Right. Um, he came over uh, after being in a concentration camp. Yeah, well, Meyer's story was... Uh, the beginning of his story is a sad one, which is yeah. he... They literally found him... Uh, if the war would have lasted another month, he probably would have been dead. Yeah. Uh, he was a 12 or 13 year old boy, and they found him in a concentration camp, uh, hiding. Uh, so he had lost all his family. So he ended up growing up in Germany, and he uh, actually married a German, uh, Emma, 
And uh, together with a family friend, Jerry, they all immigrated here to Canada in the early 50s. Uh, and Meyer uh, had a odd jobs here and there, but there was there was an original mythical bagel shop that was that existed on St. Lawrence Street here in Montreal, next to the famous uh, Schwartz smoked meat, and that's where th- that's the shop that spawned uh, us, which is St. Peter Bagel, and our most famous competitor, which is Fairmont Bagel, who's been around just as long as we have. And that was uh, Hyman Siegelman's Montreal Bagel Bakery, right? Again, I, Siegelman also worked at that shop. But oh, it so there was an even legend, more legendary. Yeah, but but he wasn't the owner. So Siegelman and Meyer mo- uh, went to St. Vitor. Got it. And so this is in like the early 1950s, like 1953. And well, this is this is uh, Fairmont opened in 51, and but they closed in 59 or or 60. Uh, St. Vitor opened in 57. Siegelman was there right in the beginning, but mm-hmm. really it was it was Meyer, it was his wife, it was their uh, adopted son Jerry, and uh, our longtime employee Jaime, uh, yes. who worked till the day he died. Literally, he died. He's he died in the bagel shop uh, a few, about ten years ago. Wow. Yeah, he was eighty-five. He's like I'm. This is where yeah, he, Jaime lived in. The, uh, he was our first employee, and uh, he literally. Gave his life to the bagel shop. So when the bagel shop opened, um, you know what were bagels like in Montreal? Were they popular? Like were they just an Im- considered an immigrant food? Because now everyone, celebrities, and everyone eats them. But back well, then, what was it like? Well, right now it's mainstream. Yeah. Uh, back then, in the and the, the area where the original bagel shop is called the Mile End, mm-hmm. and it, it's always been an immigrant neighborhood. So uh, and sold the flow of people and sold the flow of people that worked at the bagel shop. So it was primarily a Jewish neighborhood in the 40s and 50s. And there's still a lot of Hasidic Jews there today. Uh, and then it evolved. There were the, the, the Italian immigrants, like my parent, my dad came into town, the Greek immigrants, the, the Spanish immigrants. And, and uh, it evolved in the Jewish neighborhood. And now it's, be, it's become gentrified. It's a hipster neighborhood. Yeah. And also, more or less. So, uh, so it kind of flowed, but the bagel shop in the early days was a Jewish bakery. Sure. Uh, the, the, the Quebecers and the Anglos of, of Montreal didn't know what bagels were, you know. So my dad started working there in 63, and he learned Yiddish because all the customers were Jewish. Now, your dad got there because he used to deliver, was a delivery boy, right? And he yeah, was, my, was my, delivering to the yeah, store. My father is an Italian immigrant. He came here at the age of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the age of 12, 13, he had a milk run. Mm-hmm. So he used to deliver milk. He grew up in the area and he used to deliver milk and he used to deliver milk to Meyer's house. And as the story goes, uh, Meyer liked him because he was always on time, pleasant. And he goes, hey, kid, uh, do you have a job? He goes, no. Well, you start today. Wow. And it's 50 years later and he's still there. Yeah. So one of the things uh, I want to talk about before I talk about your father, Joe, a little bit more is that in addition to everything being hand-rolled, it's also the oven. Because when you walk into the store, I mean, my earliest memories is is the smoke and the smell and the wood. Um, can you talk about the original oven from the original store and the importance of like it being the way that it was built and how it cooks the bagels? Yeah, well, the the I've never seen any other ovens. I've studied a lot of ovens. <laughs> I've like never an, seen I've another never oven because it's a very large. It's it's a ten by ten uh, uh, square oven where the, in, the inside hearth is actually rectangular and it, it's all wood burning. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
and that gives the, the wood also a source of heat, but it's also a source of smoke. So the, the dome on the inside keeps the smoke in, and it gives the bagels a little bit of that smoky, woody smell, yeah. as well as cooking them uh, properly. And we use this tool called the shiba, and with the shiba, which is like a long wooden pallet, it's about 10 feet long. Yeah, I was going to say, long doesn't isn't fair enough. It's like super long. It's like yeah. huge. So it's the, the, the actual dimension, they're 11 feet by 5 inches wide. Mm-hmm. So with this long stick, we, we go in and out of the oven, and we shift the bagels around. Because it's artisanal, and because there is no... We don't even have a temperature gauge on the oven. It really is uh, done by feel and by eye. So the the baker, who takes months to train, shifts the bagels around in the oven according to how hot the oven is in certain spots. And they can just feel it and just see it and they just know. Yeah, well, they, they know, you know, after experience, you know where to put the wood and how much wood is giving how much heat. And they and they move the bagels around accordingly. Um, so your father starts in the early 60s. Yeah, so my dad started there as a kid. Uh, he didn't finish high school in the beginning, but he went back to finish night school later on. So he started there, and he was, you know, back then the a work week wasn't forty hours; a work week was sixty hours. Right. Uh, no child labor laws. Yeah, right? there were no child. So he he worked he worked he worked hard. So my dad started there in in the sixties, and they were really a small team. And the bagel shop used to open at six in the morning and close at five in the afternoon. Right. Back in those days, it wasn't an overnight thing or, or an evening thing like it is today. And then come the late 60s, uh, what my dad realized is that they kept turning away people at the door. So he told Meyer, he goes, listen, on Friday, I'll stay. You know, pay me a little bit more and I'll stay till there's no more customers. Sure. So this is about 68, 69. Yeah. And so he stayed till 6 o'clock and there were customers at the door. He stayed till 7 o'clock, there were customers at the door. He stayed till 8 o'clock, there were customers at the door. So eventually they just said, "Listen, we're we're just not going to close." So was, that's that's how the twenty-four hour thing started huh. to, started to happen, and we were only twenty-four hours Friday night and Saturday night for many years, and then about twenty years ago we made the decision to go twenty-four hours all the time. And around this time, so now it's been open for fifteen, twenty years. Are bagels starting to get popular outside of the Jewish community? Like are other yeah, come come the late sixties, early seventies. We started to get the publicity. We were in some newspapers, sure. and then one thing that, like, if you if you had to pick a point in our timeline that was was crucial to our growth, uh, Don Bell, which is a Canadian author, wrote a book called Saturday Night at the Bagel Factory. Yes, and it was uh, it was a series of short stories, and the first story is about Saturday Night at the Bagel Shop. You know, my yeah. dad, Jerry. Uh, and all the characters. You're talking the late '60s here, so you had, you had the mobsters, you had the the politicians, you had the the exotic dancers, you had the people from all walks of life walked into the bagel shop on a Saturday night. And that's when people started going like, I want to go there, I want to hang out, I want to get a bagel. Well, yeah, and, and you know what? To, from back then to this day, it's always been about the bagel. Yeah. You know, so I always say, if people visit Montreal, one of like a very quintessential Montreal thing to do is go to the bagel shop any time of day, whether it be noon or midnight, and grab a hot bagel out of the oven and take a bite. I would say it's usually our first stop when we come to town. Uh, yeah. um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about uh, your father, Joe, becoming a partner, and then you and your brothers getting involved in the business as well. Um, we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Uh, we are sitting here at St. Viator in the uh, Montreal... I'm uh, sorry. Uh, hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are sitting in at the Mount Real Cafe uh, with Vince Morena uh, talking about the history of what is probably my favorite bagel shop in the world. Well, thank you. I mean, I always think about it. it, it my memories of Montreal and my father and my grandparents, everything is really tied to this bagel shop. Well, over the years, we've had so many generations come in, mm -hmm. and it, it kind of hit a chord when I, when I, about in 2008, I opened an online store. Yeah. So people would call, and, and a lot of times I was on the phone for like 20 minutes with these ex-Montrealers or people that went oh, to yeah. school here, or someone like you says, like, my grandfather brought me here when I was a kid, and they had their short stories to to, uh, to tell, and... And it's always a good memory, you know, like usually it's with your dad or your grandfather or your mom, walk into the bagel shop and get a hot bagel. So it's a, a lot of good memories tied in with the bagel shop. Um, it's all memory. That smell, every time I hold one, every time I smell one, it just brings me back to my times here. Now, in the early, early mid-70s, your father uh, became a part-time owner. So by the time he's been working here over 10 years, more or well, less. My dad actually left. Oh, he left. He, he, yeah, my dad got married very young, and he left for three, four years to try and start his own business. Okay. So my dad had a garage, and he would still work at the bagel shop on the weekends. Got it. So he, he was working a lot of hours because he had a business that he was working hard at, and then he'd still keep the Saturday night at the bagel shop. And then what, what happened was uh, my dad wasn't working, and it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and there was a lineup, and one of the employees didn't show up. So uh, Meyer was there. He was... So you have a roller, a baker, and someone to sell bagels. Sure. That was that back in the old days. Now we have a roller, a baker, and maybe three people selling bagels, one person to clean, one person to make the dough. So we, yeah. we have a lot more staff than we used to have. But it used to be a three-person team back then. And they were short one guy. So you're short 33% of your labor staff. Right. It's big. So my dad walked in, and he just walked in to say hello. He was dressed in uh, civilian clothes, not bagel shop clothes. And... Mm -hmm. And he saw that they were short-staffed, so he, he put on an apron and he helped them out, you know. And at that point, Meyer said, you know what? You're my partner. So mm -hmm. uh, my dad bought, uh, in 74, mm -hmm. he bought 49% of the business uh, from Meyer. So Meyer could still make the decisions. Yeah, so Meyer, decisions. Meyer, Meyer was the, he was a, a tough boss, but a heart of gold. Yeah. You know, he had no filter, and I worked, when I started working there, he, he was just, we still call them Meyerisms, you know. And a lot of them wouldn't fly today because they were so politically incorrect, you know. So, <laughs> meaning, like, if you did something stupid, he would say, hey, stupid. You know, yeah. he'd call you stupid in front of, like, 20 people. But believe me, you wouldn't do it again, you know. So, you know, there's <laughs> now you can't call an employee stupid. You cannot. You got to go, listen, yeah, you let's gotta, talk about uh, what happened. Exactly. If he's stupid, he called you stupid, you know. So, the... The crazy part about it is that you didn't open up your second location until the early to mid '80s. Um, what made you? I mean, what, why wait so long? But then, what made you decide to open up another location after waiting, you know, almost thirty years? Well, at that point, bagels was starting to grow and grow and grow. So when my dad came in as a partner in '74, '74 to about yeah, and then we opened our first shop, our second shop in '83. So, and my dad always wanted to open another shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fairmont was closed. So Fairmont was closed from, I'm going to say, like, 61, 62 to 79. Wow. So Fairmont so Fairmont opened because we were so busy. 
Ha. So, because we used to have a sign, uh, a limit of two dozen per customer. Wow. So there'd be a lineup outside the door literally all day because we could only work at 35 dozen an hour. Sure. And we used to have a little sign saying two dozen per customer. We had no wholesale. So it was all the walk-in. So when Fairmont opened in 79, my dad really wanted to open another store. And Myra was said, his saying was, you can't dance at two weddings, you know? Sure. Which is an old-fashioned way of thinking. But then he saw that we couldn't keep up. So we opened one down the street in 1983, mm-hmm. uh, literally two blocks away. So you, you still see we have a buggy that, that transports bagels from uh, one store to the other store, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's still going back and forth. Um, so you open up, and I guess at that time, that's when just things really take off. Well, the two stores, so that was in 84. So back then, there was only three bagel shops in Montreal, R2 and Fairmont. And, Fairmont. and uh, the retail was still strong enough, but we're starting to get some... Like, Beauty's has always been... Beauty's is a restaurant, sure. a landmark restaurant Legendary. in Montreal. They've always been a customer, but we had more and more of those customers right. coming up. So people, can you deliver, can you deliver? So in 84, when we opened the second shop, we bought a Ford Escort station wagon. Classic. We got a driver, and... Uh, Just dropping bagels we off. Started, we started dropping bagels off to around town. And so when did your father rope you and your brothers, all the sons, into the business? How did you get started? Well, my I'm the eldest, and he didn't really have to rope us in. Like I mean, we always... Like, like our dad was worked so so much when we were a kid that we were just happy to see him when we saw him, you know? Yeah. Like he used to work... Ni- going back to 74 my dad did 30 years of night shift you know and that and that kind of cemented the bagel shops he set the, the groundwork and that cemented the bagel shops foundation for being what it is today like that legendary status that 24-7 right. he did those 24 hours he did that night shift for 30 years and he cemented so many relationships and people and he helped people out and he just he's a people person so he got to uh, he put his, his imprint on the bagel shop so when it, it was time to work. I mean, I was 13, 14. My dad says, you want to come to work? I said, yeah. I, I jumped. Sure. I jumped. I didn't know I was going <laughs> to be here for that long. But yeah. So my brothers and I have a similar history. We all started working at 13, 14 years old slowly. And then by 15, 16, I was working full time in the summers. Yeah. And uh, we all got our degrees. We all went to university. But the, I say we always have two educations. We, we got our uh, school education. But we got our our work and street education because back then it wasn't it was a little bit of a rougher neighborhood in the eighties. Sure. And uh, so you, we learned how to be street smart as well. Um, how long did it take for you to learn to make the bagels? Because I know that it takes a while. But how long till your father trusted you to to work the ovens and roll out and things like that? Well, I was always a good roller, so yeah. it took me about a month to learn to roll bagels, and and I was never. Uh, a great baker because I, I was always it just so happened that the first three years that I, I made bagels the guy that I worked with only liked to bake so I only knew how to roll yeah uh, and then I was doing because my dad trusted me he wanted me to work at the cash because it was a it's a cash business and there's money coming in and out so I didn't like I I, did, I never became a great oven guy like I might have worked maybe two or three summers working on the oven mm-hmm. but I was never but I was always a great roller and a fast roller yeah so uh, so the, that, that's one part that's a big part of the process the, the oven's harder the oven's harder uh, the rolling I could do in my, in my sleep <laughs> you, know? you never lose those moments now uh, in the early 90s unfortunately Meyer passes away um, and then well 
what again on the on our timeline before we get to Meyer? Yeah, we had a huge fire in '84. Yes, you had a huge fire um, in '84, and what was that? And was that that was at the original location? Correct? The original location burnt down. The only thing the only thing left was the oven. The oven didn't burn down, so it actually turned to be a blessing in disguise because the original bagel shop, as you see it now. Is looks small, but it's actually double the size from the really original shop. Right, because you could never shut down to really uh, do any changes because people would riot if you shut down. And say, yeah. we need to. Well, and, and when we burnt the the person because that location was actually two small stores, so then we took the, the store next door, and uh, so then we reopened. But thankfully, during that time, we had the second shop, so we just rerouted the customers to the other shop. Beautiful. And yeah. so you reopen, and does the community just completely like rally around, like support the rebuilding? Oh yeah, I mean it, it didn't take long. The fire was in April, and I think we were open again in September. Mm -hmm. So we were closed, but I mean I don't remember it so much because it was '84 and I was 13. So yeah. I, I just remember my dad really working hard to get it open again. And so then it's open for another 10 years, and then unfortunately Meyer passes away. Well, in '93. Before he knew he had cancer, mm. Meyer uh, is 65 and he wants to retire, so he sells the the remaining shares to my dad. Right. In '93. So the last. And actually, '93 or '94. I think it was '94. Meyer passed in '95, I think. Yeah, and so, so he, he. What was it like when he passed? Away? I mean, that must have been. Well, it was very sad. I mean, when when my dad took over, uh, that was a, nat a natural progression because Meyer was already demi-retired. He he wasn't coming in as much. He was trying to enjoy life, which was great for him. Uh, he and Emma would uh, come in Saturday, Sunday morning, say hi to everybody, and then they would go for a walk on the mountain, and they would come back and bring Danishes for the workers. And so he was he already had one foot out the door, and then he he retired, and then unfortunately he got cancer and passed away soon after. So it was. It was a shock, and like I said, the older, the older, the we have we have a lot of longtime employees. Sure. I, I would say, uh, out of let's say the two hundred and fifty employees we have now, twenty or thirty are thirty years plus. Wow. So 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 th those employees there, like we said, we still have uh, we call them Meyerisms, uh, and they're getting fewer and fewer. So you don't hear you don't hear them as often. But when we see each other, we'll. Shoot out a Meyerism, you know? Drop a few. Um, yeah. So your dad takes over, and when do you and your brother start getting more and more involved with the business, so, with running it? So my dad took over in 94. I was coming out of uh, university, and I already had a managerial job at a, a banquet hall. Mm. And then my, my dad approached me, listen, if you want to come work with me, and I said, on one condition, I can't work with you. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning, I, if if I'm gonna come into the business, we're we're gonna expand. Yeah. Uh, it, the time was was right in the early '90s. Bagels were hot. Yep. Uh, cafes were hot. Yeah. Uh, Starbucks in the states, second cup in Canada, and so that was a. So the first thing I did when I got there in '95, is we opened inside the Esposito store, which is a little offshoot to to expand our wholesale business. And then we opened the first St. Peter Bagel Cafe here on Mount Royal 96. And what was that like? I mean, do people, because for those, again, who've never been, when you, you when you go to the normal, just the bakery, you go in, you get your bakery, and you leave. Were people excited to be able to come in, have a sandwich, sit down, enjoy a cup of coffee? Oh, yeah. We, we when, when we first opened the Plateau, uh, Plateau was still a little bit of grungy, and it was, but it was emerging into a, yeah. a great neighborhood. And 
uh, when we opened, we had lineups from the first day, which which we were thankful. We didn't realize how strong our name was till we opened here. Yeah. So uh, people loved the fact it was that we had a great little cafe, just sandwich, just bagel sandwiches on the menu, and and we were a neighborhood cafe for many years, and now, twenty years later, here at this location, we've evolved into a, a tourist spot. Yeah, it's so, great. So th this place is weekends and and during the week is a lot of tourists. And so I want to talk about the history because uh, in 2017, you guys turned 60 years old. Right. And it's been uh, like a long journey, a beautiful journey. You've now become a staple of Montreal. And part of your community work, and I want to touch on this in our last few moments, um, is that you do a lot of charity as well. And you give back to the community. Well, that that starts from, it started from Meyer and my dad. Yeah. Uh, so Meyer and my dad were always charitable. Like... Maybe they started with the the Children's Foundation officially in '84. Mm -hmm. There would be a tele, uh, there'd, there'd be a telethon in Montreal every year, and we'd go and present the check and raise money all year. Excuse me, that up. Bagel. Oui. No, c'est bien ça. Je te vois pas sur ce qu'il y a dû, mais texte José pour être sûr. T'as su son numéro? Ok, bye. Cool, so let's just pick it up from the charity with uh, Meyer and your father. Yeah, so what I mean by small charity is that they wouldn't let people go hungry, you know, so there was a lot of homeless in the area and they, they knew if they would come in and they would they would get a bagel. Yeah. You know, so or or people with families that couldn't afford to eat or whatever, they would get bagels. So wow. it, it started with that type of charity in on the streets in the neighborhood, you know. And then we started with the Children's Foundation in 84. And we, every money we raised money uh, for the telethon. And then on our 50th anniversary, we raised 50000 And then on our 60th anniversary, we decided to raise 60000 for the for the children. It's amazing. It's amazing and it's great that you can give back and the that the brand means so much beyond just the bagel itself, but the people here of Montreal and, and Canada well, are large. Again, it's... Although we do some of the larger donations, it really is about community. Yeah. You know, and when we did our 60th anniversary, we just threw a big block party. <laughs> and people came. We, we probably had over 10,000 people pass by that day just to celebrate bagels, which is funny because where else in the world would the 10,000 people show up to celebrate bagels? I don't know where else. Um, well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, pleasure. Just one question. Uh, is there anything better than a fresh... St. Vieter bagel out of the oven? Nothing. 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 <laughs> I still eat them. I work here every day and I still eat them. Yes. Um, well, so if people want to find you online, they want to order online, where can they go? Stvieterbagel.com. Okay. And then you're also on Instagram and all that as Instagram, well? Instagram, Facebook, and that's it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Here's to another 60 years, if not more. Perfect. Uh, we have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
100 Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. I want to welcome to the show Mount Animation. What's up, guys? How hey, you doing? Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. And uh, again, my apologies. The album is out. And climbing the charts, as they used to say. I don't know if anyone says climbing the charts anymore. Do uh, you guys want to introduce yourself? I'm Zach. I'm Scott. Um, how did you... Well, I know that my brother 
came across you guys busking in the subway. That's actually how we met. So yes, yeah, that's yeah. how that's how that's you guys right. met. And uh, I th- I thank you guys for uh, following up on the email and coming on the show. Sure, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, how did you two guys meet? We met in the in the subway actually. So well, yeah, all of this is happening. How did the, you two uh, meet though? Oh, in, in the in the subway. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the L train was broken. Imagine that. So uh, it was uh, broken uh, today actually. Gee, I, you I don't got say. here. I got here a lot later than I thought I would. Wow, spooky. Broken L train. <laughs> what are the chances? Um, so the L train was broken. Yeah. So I went to. Uh, I just hit my head on a dead animal. Um, I went to uh, the Delancey Street stop and. Uh, Scott was there playing violin, and I had a banjo, so uh, we quickly accidentally formed a sort of a bluegrass-sounding band and then realized that that's not what we wanted to do at all and, uh, and went back to, you know, loud, progressive, avant-garde rock with banjos and violins. Wow, um, what's, your, what's your background? Are you guys from New York? Or? Uh, I've been here for about 15 years. So. Okay. That counts. Yeah, that, that's New York. I, I, I was trying. I always try trying like figure like what's the is it eight years? Is it seven years? And like you just you're a New Yorker at that point. Yeah, or it's every other second you are and aren't. Because, yeah, you're just like you know you almost get like an old New York accent and you're yeah. like I don't understand this. I, I just want to go back to yeah. wherever I came Sweetener, from, which I don't remember. Yeah, because I don't have enough room in my head. Um, it's crazy because sometimes you know buskers are I don't want to say territorial because I know there's a community, <clears> but for you guys to like, wind up jamming together on the subway is a pretty awesome story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had never been to that territory, so... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Scott had been there a couple times, so... And yeah. you, you After just... a brief fisticuffs with... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had to friends. square off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, like, I like the cut of your jib and the way you swing that banjo, sir. Um, and how about you? How long have you been in New York? Oh, four, three years. And where, where are you coming from? Uh, the Midwest, kind of North Dakota and Colorado. Okay, okay. So, so like blank slate, essentially. <laughs> I was not where person. Yeah, where? Who knows? Over the there. land of open spaces. Yeah. So then, how did you? So you didn't want to do bluegrass. You have this new sound, and how did that sort of? Because uh, the music you play is not exactly what I would think would be coming out of the instruments. That you have, oh, thank you. Uh, which is exciting because I always love to see like instruments re- in the sound repurposed into a different genre. How did you guys sort of stumble upon it, or how did it evolve? Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, well, I think we just started buying amps. Yeah. And when we when we got louder and started playing louder shows, we realized it. I mean, we didn't want to sound. Wait, like- so you run you run your banjo. Yeah, your violin through amps. And, so, oh wow! Yeah, it yeah. sounds like a. And that's not a, that's not a super common thing, is it? Um, no. It, yeah. yeah. It's, no. I mean, it's I don't think I've. Yeah. I don't think I've really ever seen a banjo through. Yeah, an amp. I've never seen a banjo through an amp. And, and I, I mean, I grew up in North Georgia, so I've seen a lot of banjos and dulcimers and everything like that. But I, I never saw like amplified. To yeah, it's relatively new technology. It's normally like little microphones on banjos. Yeah, and stuff. awesome. And I tried everything, and they all just uh, sounded, you know, inadequate for. A big stage. So. Awesome. Uh, well, you guys want to play a song? You guys want to rip us something? Yeah. Uh, what do you want to play first? Uh, Survey Survive. Should be- awesome. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Mountain Animation, live on Snacky Tunes.
everybody knows Shout it for a minute at least Survey, survive How we gonna stay alive Mason's time Keep the walls up for a while You may fear Protection might be a veneer Or a souvenir in Oh man, I've that... seen a number of performances on your show, and I've listened to a lot more, but I don't know if I've seen that energy. No, that's big. That's big on a Sunday afternoon too. <laughs> I could call yeah. around the corner. Oh man, that is, uh... dude, that's great. Um, so how does it work? How do you guys write? Yeah, I mean, like, what's the process? Oh, uh, dude, we ha- um, I had some old songs that we uh, sort of amped up because Scott can like. Has a way of making your sound. Eight yeah, he times definitely bigger, takes really it to fast. that next level. Yeah, <laughs> and then other ones. Uh, yeah, we we play in the subway sometimes and just you know kick out of kick out a jam using the walls and you get to you know kind of right in front of 
you know, a thousand people in an hour, like you'll see, like get all this inspiration and stuff like that. How much is uh, Freestyle Jam in the subways and how much is, you know, you got the new album, so you're like practicing songs for the next show or is there a mix? Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally, yeah, the perfect... Perfect mix, right? I mean, you're not. Are you singing much in the subway, though? Yeah, yeah, totally singing. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. how does that? You know, you don't have a. Do you have amps in the subway as well? Oh no, just a louder voice. Just a louder subway. voice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and it, you know, get the walls down there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah, yeah. some noise. Um, so let's talk about the new album. Okay. Uh, big old epic bunch of tunes. Sounds awesome. Sounds great. Um, what was the writing process on that? A lot of. Uh, songs coming from your subway sessions, and then just growing, and we're just going to the studio, just with. A bunch of fresh ideas and, and put something together. Well, we called it a Tesseract Flapjack Tesseract Flashback uh, for several reasons, but one of them was uh, that there's a couple of uh, tunes that I wrote a long time ago. You yeah. know, we just, you know, took in a new direction or several new directions. And then some songs that it seems like were kind of like from the future or something, you know, like of, of our next sound coming. And then some stuff from, from recent times that we've been working on, like tour yeah. half the time and... You guys tour a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, what how, does, t- how does the touring work? Do you guys just book yourselves or um, yeah, just yeah, kind of get in the van and go? Or do you, do you guys even need a van? I mean, it's just the two of you, right? Yeah, we just drive a little two-door. <laughs> get a, Prius. a little smart car across, across yeah, America. totally. Pick up as many people as possible and have the clown car effect at the shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, what network, where do you guys play? Like, what are some of the, what's your normal circuit? Normal circuit is like jet out to the Rockies and then go up and down the Rockies and up and down the West Coast and uh, and this year we're gonna finally get to the South. Oh, nice this project. And nice. Then, uh, Northeast has always been great. We just keep on meeting more and more wonderful people. But you I, book you book the shows yourselves. And oh yeah, yeah. There's no agent. You just call up your your network of friends and yeah, people that are in the community. Us <laughs> or call me. Yeah, 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 just just call us and just call you. Call you. Back. Have, have have car. Have instruments. We'll play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, when you guys, are t- I don't know, you guys have a vibe where, and a feeling that like you guys will play and can jam with anyone. I feel like there's some magical mystery with you guys where just like, you could be in a town and like a show would just happen. Yeah, we played at a metal bar outside of Chicago on our last tour. That yeah, in the dead of awesome. winter. That was amazing. Really? <laughs> what was that? How did that, that work out? Over? It was great because our our friend uh, said, "Oh, I got this great spot in this uh, little you know winter festival indoors for you, and it's you know there's not going to be a back line of amps there because it's in between two acoustic acts." And we showed up, and the the one before was definitely one of the hardest bands I've ever seen. Acoustic? Just, oh no, hardcore punk. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so they had crashing. They had, they had amps. <laughs> oh yeah, they had they, oh, they had, had stacks. <laughs> yeah, and big muscles, and they were awesome. Dude, my favorite bands, actually. The Kreutzer Sonata. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. They're fantastic. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I mean, and is it just the two of you? Do you guys bring anyone with you on the road? Um, oh, we brought uh, the boss on the last one, our friend our friend Jessie. She's our boss. Nicknamed the boss? Yeah, because she, she's got the, the iPod. Oh, yeah, yeah. She just kills it. Like. And when are you guys on the road, awesome. you guys are you guys cooking a lot, or are you guys just... Uh, like It's really fun on this last one, because we took a rice cooker with a little steamer. Oh, yeah. Wow. To it. So just like rice on the bottom, tempeh on top, and uh, two guys and a rice cooker. 
Yeah, going across it's like America. the cheapest tour. I mean, was, but but how does it work? Do you like pull into a gas station? You're like, do you guys have like somewhere we can plug in and like make oh, our we meal? Would, we would cook or... it at the hotel in the morning, oh. Or whatever, oh. and then just keep it in the trunk. Yeah, we did that. The first time we did it was like in the middle of Nebraska, pulled into a gas station where, of course, you know, no matter what you eat, there's probably not food for you. No, 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 no. They don't have tempeh. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not. It's not going to happen. Pop I'm sorry, sir. What warm. sort of uh, alternate wheat glutens do you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's. I mean, that's those rice cookers are so versatile. I mean, it's a pressure cooker. It's mm-hmm. they're so good. Yeah. yeah, they're so good. And then you know you get just have a bottle of sriracha, maybe some soy sauce. Oh, yes, and, absolutely. Yeah, some some of those amino acids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Rice and beans. Yeah, totally done. Um, you guys want to play another song? Love to. Okay, what we got? What do we have? What do we have? Want to do way too much? Oh sure. Yeah. All right, way too much by Mountain Animation live here on Snacky Tune. <laughs>
awesome. Thank you. So amazing. Heating it up in here. Yeah, that was, that, that we AC, definitely have to turn on the AC. Though. Uh, it's on. It's not working. Um, so uh, summer's coming up. Uh, what's what's on what's in store? What's on tour? Uh, big old West. Uh, but this time we're going to avoid uh, Death Valley in the summer, and we're going to avoid Chicago in the winter. Uh, We've got it down. We're going to be good birds. It's Dylan's character. <laughs> Dylan's character. Yeah, uh, we have enough character in melted instruments. I mean, those. <laughs> I'll take that heat over Chicago winter. That's Ooh, 130 degrees. You no know way, I will definitely take Chicago or a New York winter, to be honest. Yeah, oh my God. it's real bad <laughs> driving through there. That's that sucks, man. I don't I don't like sweating. Yeah, 120 at night. Yeah, it's too <laughs> cool. See you in Chicago. Yeah. Um, so you guys are just gonna hop in the the two door smart car, drive all around, hit the rocks, things like that. Um, and the album. Where can people get the album? Oh. It's uh, it's on our Bandcamp. Man, shout out to Bandcamp. Bandcamp yes. is the best. Seriously, like, talk about a, a game changer of a website. Like, really, just cutting it out all that red tape bullshit. Just getting the album and the music out to the people. Yes. Uh, and the fact that they do like they do like once a week free albums for certain bands is just, it's so awesome as well. Yeah, the whole system's great. The whole system's great. Can I ask, do you guys do merch? Do you guys do t-shirts and things like that? I feel... We're working on the a whole package that's coming out with the... Uh... I'm sorry, man. That's, that boar's head. Get, like, I, I know. Um, but you guys are working on stuff? Yeah, yeah. We have CDs, uh, and we're working on getting some vinyl and tapes and t-shirts. That'll come out middle of the summer. Isn't it crazy to me that the tapes are back? Oh, that's so great. Cool. I know. I mean, it's, it's awesome, but uh, they've definitely had... The like revitalization, but I don't have a tape player anymore. Yeah, yeah. Everybody in LA is just buying a tape player for their car. You know. Yeah, I know, but because like I know there's all like the limited like edition tapes and things like that, like legit cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, because you can't have a record player in Los Angeles because you're always in your car. So well, and like they the definitely don't thing. make record players for cars anymore. Not yet. I mean, Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Um, all right. Yeah, cool. My family once had an eight-track player in their car. Oh. Yeah, uh, that'd be really funny. I don't think that technology to record onto eight tracks anymore exists. No, <laughs> I think that's that, that's gone. That's done. That'd be really funny if they were if they were doing uh, eight tracks. Like bands would be like, oh yeah, we got like a new eight track coming out. It's pretty cool. Oh, Laserdisc um, player for the kids in the back, so they can see. The- <laughs> yeah, Laserdisc player for the kids, eight track for the parents. Summer's on fire. Uh, well, so we're gonna fit one more song, but I want to thank all of our special guests. Thank you, Carter. For coming, of course, Marianne. Thank you so much. With pleasure, uh, Elaine. Thank you so much. I know that you were a little late. Just shout out. How are you? Good afternoon. How are you? Good. Everything good with you? Yeah, wine is awesome. Yes. Well, you can thank Marianne for that. Thank you so much for that. We'll have you back on. We'll we'll figure some out some time. Um, and shout out to everybody who's listening. We're back next week with another show. I'm sure it's going to be fine. And it's I I don't want to jinx it, but I feel like summer. Well, the rosé is getting to me a little bit, so I feel like the summer is here. Um, Sue France Festival coming out Mountain Animation uh, On tour Get the album The album's great Awesome uh, I just really want to say thanks to the guys at the Headroom This is our first gig since we released the album They recorded it They did awesome Thanks Kyle and Joe You're the best Yeah, shout out to the producers awesome. Shout out to Heritage Jack, Aaron, everybody Yeah, thank you Thank you, Darren It's always a pleasure to be, oh to be here It's such a fantastic show Oh, you're making oh, me blush No, no my please, cheeks are please. My <laughs> cheeks are a shade of rosé um, And for everybody uh, who wants to 
come out. We're doing our barbecue blowouts again um, in May with Estella and Turning Machine. I'll be DJing. It's a BBQ Blowout May 2014.eventbrite.com or just search barbecue blowout. Yeah, I would say nobody is going to remember that. No one's going to remember that. Um, but come to the blowout. Anyway. Come to the they're, blowout. They're awesome. God, if we still updated our website, I'd say go there, but we haven't written a post in maybe three years. Uh, anyway, or just hit us at. Um, I don't know. Just hit Heritage Radio Network and we'll get all the info because they're one of the sponsors. Um, thank you so much. Once One last song. What's, what do you got for us? We got uh, Bring Him Home, which is written by my cat Nimbus. Uh, she plays the bass. Uh, she's taking a nap right now. Oh. So she couldn't be uh, with us. Okay. Here we go. Live on Snacky Tunes. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you in a week. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.